It's great to see all of you here today. My name is also Grant. Um, but yeah, Grant, thank you uh, for sharing that story of uh, God's grace in your life. It's, it's awesome. There's, I love hearing what God does in people's lives, and he works uh, so amazingly and so consistently. Um, how are you guys feeling after your first week of class? Good? Okay, good. Um, is anyone in here feeling a little bit of stress after their first week of classes? Okay, yeah, I figured that that would be the case. Those of you that didn't raise your hand, you must not be in calculus right now. Uh, I've, been, I've been hearing a lot of people tell me that, that calculus is starting to kick their butt uh, already. Unfortunately, I cannot help tutor you in that. I haven't taken calculus since high school. I don't remember any of it. Um, I can't help you with that, but I can help you learn how to handle stress in your life. Uh, whether that is from school, work, or anything else, we, uh, th this life gets difficult sometimes. Um, tough things are thrown our way. Uh, big things, little things, whatever. There's a lot of stuff that can start to, to create stress in our lives. And, and sometimes it can get to the point where anxiety is almost crippling. Now, I want to let you know, here at H2O, we usually just preach through books of the Bible, and we will start doing that soon. Uh, after Labor Day, we're going to start a, a series just <clears throat> preaching through the book of Genesis. It's going to be awesome. Uh, we're going to see so much about who God is and how he's shaped our world and, and who he's shaped us to be uh, through that series. But uh, as a teaching team, we were praying during the summer, just asking the Lord to lead us uh, for these first few weeks. God, what is it specifically that you want us to speak into? And specifically, this was something that came to mind is, is that we need to speak into the topic of having peace, like having Christian peace. Uh, I'm not talking about world peace, although world peace is great, and I do want that as well. Uh, I'm talking more about like having inner peace as a Christian. Now, I was hesitant in some ways to even use the phrase inner peace because it seems like in our culture uh, that only associates with like yoga and meditation and crystals. Um, but but that's, that's, that's not what I'm talking about, right? Like those things can't bring pre peace anywhere near the way that our God can. And we live in a culture that desperately needs it. Uh, there was a study I looked at a while ago by the American Psychological Association. I think it was done in 2022. Uh, it found that 46% of Americans they surveyed who are under age 35, which is pretty much everybody in this room, um, said that most days they're so stressed that they can't function. 46%, so almost half of people. 62% um, of women that were in the age 18 to 34 bracket said that most days they're completely overwhelmed by stress. 62% of women in the age bracket is in this room. Um, that was also true for 51% of men. So we have an anxiety epidemic that's going on in our culture. And I really probably don't need to just read you stats. You, you know, you either experience this yourself or you're probably living around a lot of other people that are, are struggling to cope with stress and anxiety. And sometimes you can feel like you're under a, a really heavy load. I want to tell you, regardless of whatever your life circumstances are, though, that you can have true peace on the inside. Like, God is a God that wants you to have peace. He is all about peace. When you look through the scripture, he's sometimes even called the God of peace. Look at this. In, in uh, 2 Thessalonians 3.16, Paul closes his letter saying, Now may the Lord of peace himself continually grant you peace in every circumstance. The Lord be with you all. 
There's a, a famous passage that you've probably heard at Christmas time. If you ever go to Christmas service, right? Isaiah chapter 9. It's a prophecy about Jesus, but it says, For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. We even see when the fruit of the Spirit, Paul uh, is talking about when the Holy Spirit comes into you as a Christian, these are the things he produces in your life. One of the things that's on that list is peace. And you know, I could go on and on here, but I think that by now you can hopefully see that our God very much is a God of peace. And not only is he a God of peace, but he wants you to be a person of peace. Right? He doesn't want to just keep it to himself. This is why Paul was asking to the Thessalonians, he said, may the God of peace grant you peace. This is why the Prince of Peace was given to us. This is why the Holy Spirit produces this fruit in us. You see, God wants to make us more like him. That's a lot of what the journey of a Christian is, right? Like he's bringing you close to him and he's making you more like him. I love this in Romans 8, 29. We see, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. Now, there might be some words in there that you're not used to using, but I want you to focus in on that idea of saying he's predestined you to become conformed to the image of his son. That means he wants to make you someone that looks more and more like Jesus. That's what he's doing. When he calls you to be a follower, to obey him, he's making you more like Jesus. And this means that he doesn't want you to be stressed out all the time. He, he doesn't want you to be struggling with all that kind of stuff that, that Grant was talking about. And Grant, like, I love you. I'm, I'm so thankful for the way you've pressed into the Lord and that he's been helping you in this battle. It doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but the Lord wants you to have peace in your life. This is a gift he wants to give. And this doesn't mean that your life is going to be totally easy and free of challenges, right? Like you look at the life of Jesus, it was certainly not easy and it was certainly not free of challenges. Yet he was able to have peace through every single bit of it. This is why he was able to be like almost freakishly chill on trial before Pilate, right? Like he's on trial about to be crucified. The, the guy who's trying him wants to let him go and Jesus is just totally chill, Knowing that he's, he's okay with going forward with the, the plan that God has for his life. He was able to pray even while he was being crucified for the people that were crucifying him. Jesus had perfect peace and he wants us to be people of peace. Worry, fear, and anxiety have no place in the life of a Christian. And unfortunately, most people have lives that are racked with these things. But God wants something different for us. So I want us just to pray here together as a group, and then I'm just going to speak through three foundational truths that um, our, our Christian peace is built upon, and then I'm going to give you some things that you can actively do to build upon that foundation to actually take hold of the peace that God wants to give you in your life. So let's pray. God, we thank you uh, just so much for who you are. I thank you that you are a God who saves, that you're a God that uh, gives us peace, that you're a God that, that transforms our lives, that you're a God that we can trust. And God, sometimes we, we struggle so much with that, but I pray that you would help us this morning just to trust you, to cast our cares upon you, to, to lay all of our burdens at the foot of the cross, to sit at your feet and just know that you see us, you hear us, you care for us. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would speak to us in this room this morning and minister to our hearts. We love you and we pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen. Amen. All right.
So uh, I want to start just by talking about the, the foundation for Christian peace. You know, what is it that God has done to make peace possible? Um, the, the foundation of a building is really important, right? Because no matter how uh, beautiful a building is, if you build it on a poor foundation, it's going to collapse, Jesus talked about this in the Sermon on the Mount, right? About the difference between the wise man who builds his house on the rock or the foolish man who builds his house on the sand. You can build a really beautiful house, but if you build it on the sand, when that storm comes, it's going to fall. God has given us a solid foundation to actually be able to build upon, to where we can have real peace in our lives. I think there's a lot of people that, that look to try and find shortcuts to peace, right? Maybe that is doing yoga or meditating or, or drinking a glass of wine every night. And I'm not saying that any of those things are even bad in and of themselves, but, but they're shortcuts to peace that are built on a foundation that's not solid. They lack real power because of that foundation. Now, the peace of God is built on a firm foundation, and the reason is because it's built upon what his promise is as the almighty God of the universe that he is able to deliver on. He's actually all-powerful, and we know that he can do what he says. And so that, that first part of the foundation really comes down to his promises, that he will take care of us, both in this life and in the next. Look at this. This is one of my favorite passages. I, I feel like I reference it all the time, uh, but it's in Matthew chapter 6. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus is teaching us why we don't need to worry. So this is Matthew chapter 6, 25 to 34. For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not worth much more than they? And who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? Why are you worried about clothing? Observe how the lilies of the field grow. They do not toil, nor do they spin. Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you? You have little faith. Do not worry then, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Man, th these are beautiful words from Jesus. Promises, if God cares about the birds and the flowers, how much more does he care about you? The one that's made in his image. Why do we have such a hard time believing this? Th think of what we allow ourselves to stress over constantly. He's, he's talking about important stuff. He's actually talking about basic needs here, right? That's almost something that seems like it's worth stressing over. Like, I need something to wear. I need something to eat. We, we let ourselves get way more stressed over all sorts of stuff that's not even as important as that. God knows every single need that we have, and he wants to take care of us. He simply wants to say, hey, I, I want you to seek my kingdom first. I know what you need, and as you're seeking my kingdom, I'm, I'm going to make sure that I provide for you. We don't know what tomorrow holds, so why do we spend so much time worrying about it? You know the one thing that we know about tomorrow? God's going to be there. That's the only thing we know about tomorrow. 
And that's the only thing that we need to know about tomorrow to have a life of peace. Because whatever it may bring, God is going to be there. And He's going to be there caring for us. He's going to be there to love you. He's going to be there to help you. And if you're at peace with Him, then you're good. Whatever that brings tomorrow. And you know, He promises to take care of us not only in this life with our, with our physical needs, but also in the next. There is nothing that could be more important than actually being at peace with God Himself. You see, the biggest problem that we have isn't what are we going to eat or what are we going to wear or what are we going to drink. The, the, problem, the biggest problem we have is what's, what's going to happen to us when we die? Like We, we know that we're marching towards this, this thing called death, and, and the Bible tells us that sin is actually something that has disrupted our relationship with God. It's created a separation between us and Him. As a matter of fact, in, in a way you could say that we are, are enemies of God because we've joined in a rebellion against Him. Our God is the King of the universe. He created everything. It's all under His authority. But so often, we don't live under that authority. That's what we do when we sin, right? We're saying, God, you're not king. I'm king, and I'm going to do what I want rather than you. We're breaking his law. Now, Satan is the one that's done this from the beginning, and, and we all have, have gone and followed him in that to some degree. And with that, because of our rebellion, what, that actually makes us enemies of God, people that are at odds with him. Now, most people hate their enemies, Right? Like mo- most people want to just, just be done with them, eliminate them, conquer them. But what God wants to do is actually heal and restore and bring, his, bring us into his family. And that's exactly what he did. Rather than just casting us off and saying, oh, you've rebelled against me, you're done. He said, you know what? I know that you've rebelled against me. I know that you're guilty of sin. I know that you've separated yourself from me. But I love you and I don't want it to stay that way. So I'm going to do what's necessary to make things right. And that, that's really the whole story of the Bible is telling us what is God doing to fix this mess that we've gotten ourselves into. And, and, and the most central message of that is the fact that it comes with Jesus taking on flesh, God walking amongst us as a man, living a perfect life, never rebelling against anything that the Lord has said, and going and dying on the cross. And as he died on the cross, he died the, to, to pay the penalty that you and I deserve for our rebellion against the Lord. The Bible teaches that the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus went to the cross and paid that death in our place. And then he rose from the dead and he offers eternal life to any who would put their faith in him, saying, yes, you're guilty, but I paid your your debt for you. And if you would put your faith in me, you can be restored into right relationship with God. You can have peace with him. And this is the beauty of the gospel. This is what Paul writes in Romans 5, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, right? There's nothing that we do. So we put our faith in the work of Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we exult in hope of the glory of God saying by faith in the work of what Jesus has done, by his grace, we can be at peace with God. We stand in that grace and we exult in the hope of glory, meaning that we know that even as this life comes to an end, not only is God continuing to take care of us in this life, but when it ends, he's taking care of us in the future. That if you are a Christian and you have made peace with God, you are invited into his eternal kingdom, made his child and actually an heir to that kingdom. Like your dad is the king. How cool is that? You talk about a God that that promises to take care of us. This is all here. It's all over his scripture. 
showing you the way that he promises to take care of every single need we have, the deepest ones, both now and in the future. And with this, guys, this brings me to the next foundational thing, which is it totally changes our perspective. Changes your perspective on life. When you realize that all of your needs are taken care of by God, including your biggest eternal need, then what do you really have to reasonably be stressed about? And I say that honestly. We let our thoughts and lives be dominated by all kinds of worries that in the grand scheme of things, of eternity, really don't actually matter that much. And I don't want to sound callous or be unrealistic at all. Like I don't want to trivialize real struggles. There's some tough stuff that we go through in this life. But when you still think about it in the grand scheme of eternity and you understand what God has done for you, you're able to roll. Like you're able to keep going. You're able to know that at one day, the Lord is going to set everything right. I love what Grant said here. He's like, I know the Lord's going to heal me. And I don't know exactly when it is. I don't, I don't, I don't know exactly how that's going to look, but I can tell you this. Whether it's in this life or the next, at, at, at some point, all problems and troubles and all that are going to go away. When I read the book of Revelation and I see the new heavens and the new earth, it tells me that there's no more pain or crying or mourning or death or anything like that there anymore. When you know that you are a child of God and you have eternal life with him, how much does it really matter if you don't get the, the grade that you were hoping for on your exam? Or if you can't find a co-op? You, you know, I, I'm being serious here. Like, I'm not, I'm not saying that you shouldn't study as hard. That I'm not saying that you shouldn't work hard. Like, we're called to do everything that we do as if we're doing it for the Lord. So yes, go out there. Put your best effort forth. But if things don't go the way that you want them to, it's Okay. Like, the Lord's got you. And, and you know what? He's really, really, really good at taking stuff that we think is bad and turning it into good. And, and Grant even kind of alluded to some of that even in his testimony. He's gone through all this, this stuff that was tough, but then the Lord used it for good. And you see this theme actually over and over in the Scripture. And uh, Paul wrote, wrote this in Romans 8.28. He says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. How freeing is that? If, if you can actually believe the truth of Romans 8.28, how freeing is that that you know that God causes all things to work together for good? He's not saying all things are good, right? There are evil and, and wicked and terrible things that happen. He's not saying all things are good, but he says God causes all things to work together for good for those that are called according to his purpose. Man, I, I was shortchanging that truth so, for so long in my life. I remember it was uh, when I first came on down here to help start this church at Cincy, um, I, I, I was stressed about how things were going. Planting a church is really hard, right? Like you, you start with nothing. You're saying, is anyone going to want to come to this? Are we going to be able to reach anybody? feels like we're against so much opposition. I remember walking to campus. I used to live on Rose Street. And uh, yeah, I, I was walking to campus one day and, and I was thinking about Romans 8, 28, and the Lord just like really helped me understand the depth of that verse more than I ever had before. Because before I was just thinking like, oh, you know, that means like if there's bad stuff that happens to you that's not your fault, God will make good out of it, right? So like if you get cancer or, you know, you have a friend die in a car crash or something like that, and yeah, that's true, but it was also like, no, he says all things. That includes my mistakes. Like even my failures, stuff that's my fault, God can use that and will use that to work together for good for those who love him or are called according to his purpose. How freeing is that? 
That, that, all of a sudden I was like, yes, Lord, th- this is amazing. You're telling me even when I screw up, you're going to make it work together for good somehow? Talk about something that starts to crush anxiety in your life. That was huge for me. You know, these words in Romans 8.28, they were written by the Apostle Paul. And, and he was a man that had some very stressful situations that he lived through. Very stressful. Have any of you guys ever been the target of a murder plot? Okay, you don't know it at least if, if you are. Um, the Apostle Paul was frequently a target of murder plots. All right, that seems like a very stressful situation to me. Thankfully, I have not experienced it. Uh, but when this guy became a Christian, not that long after, he literally had to escape a city uh, in a basket, <laughs> like lowered down through the wall in a basket because people were trying to kill him. And there were people that were trying to kill him for a long time. He was, he, he was no stranger to getting beaten. He'd been thrown into prison. I, I, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've been to prison. I would assume most of us have not been. He had been to prison multiple times. Uh, he w- was very familiar with being in stressful situations. And as a matter of fact, uh, he was able to, to have such peace in the Lord, though, despite all of this, right? Peace doesn't come from good circumstances. This guy had a lot of really tough circumstances, yet he had this incredible peace. Look at this. He wrote this in Philippians, which is an awesome letter. If you ever want to just get excited and uplifted, read the book of Philippians. Um, but near, near the end of this, in chapter 4, he writes this from a jail cell. Okay, he's in prison as he's writing this. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. When you understand that you're on God's team, that changes your perspective about everything. Every day can be a good day. Because every day is a day that you get to spend with Jesus. A day doesn't have to be a good day just because circumstances are going well. When we have Jesus, there is no circumstance that is too overwhelming. So next time you're feeling really stressed and anxious about your circumstances, I really encourage you to step back and view things in perspective. Let the Lord be the one that actually informs the way that you look at this life and even the next View things through an eternal lens. You know, the last uh, foundational thing I want to talk about for Christian peace is the understanding of power. Now, God gives his children power, some awesome power, and I want to talk about that in a second, uh, but he doesn't give us unlimited power, okay? He didn't make an Emperor Palpatine promise, you Star Wars fans, I know you're thinking about that. Uh, He doesn't give us unlimited power, right? Understanding the power that God has given you is actually really important because it's going to help you to discern the difference between the things that you can control and the things that you can't. And understanding that you can't control everything is going to be a really healthy step along the way to having peace in your life. I assume most of you have probably heard the serenity prayer before. They use this a lot at things like Alcoholics Anonymous. But it's just, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things that I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And I love that. Like, there's a lot of things we can change, and we need to take advantage of that. We need to to press into that. But there's some other things that we can't. And we need to make sure that we're not letting our desire for control be something that robs us of the joy that God wants us to have. You know, even in that Matthew 6 passage that I read, Jesus alludes to this fact that there are certain things that are outside of our control. In Matthew 6, 27, he said, Who of you, by being worried, can add a single hour to his life? There's plenty of things that we cannot do. 
we stress about all sorts of things that we can't control. We don't control other people, right? We can influence other people, but we don't control other people. And so often we let our lives be uh, full of stress and anxiety about the reactions of others, which we have no control over. I have a friend uh, who's a counselor, and he likes to ask this question to his clients. He always asks them, who, do you, who can you control? And he waits, and sometimes they, they don't want to answer. The answer is you. You control it yourself. And he says, okay, and, and when? The answer is now, right? You, 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 you can't control your past, right? Like whatever happened in the past is past. You may have screwed up a ton. You may have a lot of baggage, whatever. You can't control that. All you can control is, is yourself right now. And you have the opportunity to make decisions in this moment. So what are you going to do about it? We'd be much better off learning to trust God and stop worrying so much about the things that we cannot control. Now, with that being said, there are things that we can control. Right? Like God has actually given us a lot of power in our lives to, to be just human beings that, that make decisions, that actually shape our lives, and that help shape the world around us. We can't control other people, but we, and we can't control our circumstances, but we can control how we react to what comes our way. And uh, there's a quote I want to share from a guy named Viktor Frankl. He's not even a Christian, but he, he was an uh, Austrian psychiatrist and a Holocaust survivor. He was a, he was a Jewish man. He went to a, a, one of the concentration camps. And you know, th think about not being able to control your circumstances. I mean, he had every dignity possible that was stripped away from him. And he wrote about some of these experiences later. And uh, he wrote this about the one freedom that the Nazis could not take away from him. He said, the last of the human freedoms to choose one's attitude in any given set of circumstances, to choose one's own way, and there were always choices to make. Every day, every hour offered the opportunity to make a decision, a decision which determined whether you would or would not submit to those powers which threatened to rob you of your very self, your inner freedom, which determined whether or not you became the plaything, the circumstance, renouncing freedom and dignity. Man, Viktor Frankl wasn't even a Christian, but he understood the, the strength that God gave him simply as a human being to be able to make decisions and to control his attitude. How much more so then, even as Christians who are supernaturally empowered by the Holy Spirit, do we have the opportunity to control our attitude in the way that we react to circumstances? Self-control is part of the fruit of the Spirit, right? I put that list up there earlier that Paul writes about in Galatians 5. The last one that he lists is self-control. God wants us to be people that know how to rule over ourselves, that we can make our decisions about how we're going to react to things. We aren't slaves to sin. God does not want us to be captives to fear and anxiety, and he has given us the power to fight against that. You know, bad thoughts may come our way, right? Like all of us probably have intrusive thoughts at some times. All of us are going to experience temptation to stress out, to be anxious, to worry. But it's in these times that we need to learn to take these thoughts captive and make them obedient to Christ, right? You, you have these kind of bad thoughts that start to come in. You have the opportunity to decide, what am I going to do about this? And I love what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. He says, For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but divinely powerful for the destruction of fortresses. We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. What thoughts are you letting live in your head that are not captive to the obedience of Christ? 
Because I'll bet that there's quite a few of us that let lies live in our head up here, that speak contrary to what Jesus would say. And, and we need to be people that learn to take these thoughts captive and say, you know what? I, I'm not letting you rule the way that I think. I'm not letting you rule the way that I act. I'm going to take whatever you're telling me and I'm going to make it obedient to Jesus. I'm going to put it in line with what the Lord has to say. So how is it that we do this, right? I told you I was going to give you some practical steps you can take on how to actually experience this peace. We have the foundation laid, right? Like, like real Christian peace is possible. You don't have to do yoga. You don't have to meditate. You don't have to get drunk. There's real, lasting, solid, foundational peace that you can have that is offered to us in Christ because of the promises of God, because of the way that it changes our perspective, and because of the power that he gives us. So how do we take hold of that? Well, here's what we can do. We're going to go to Philippians chapter 4 and just kind of walk through some of the late verses there. Um, I already read some of Philippians 4 earlier, but we're going to go back to, uh, a little bit earlier in the chapter because Paul just gives us a great, uh, a, a great master class in some ways on how to be someone that takes every thought captive, how to be someone that's content in every circumstance like he wrote. Um, and remember, he's writing this from a prison cell. So the first thing we can do is we can rejoice. He says in Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Remember, writing this in a prison cell. He's not saying rejoice in the Lord just when you're really excited or when there's a super hype worship song that comes on. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. I don't know. Most of us probably don't think of rejoicing as a choice, but it is. Rejoicing is not something that's just a, a, an emotion that comes on a whim, right? Now, sometimes we feel joy more than, than at other times. But you can choose to rejoice whenever you want to. As a matter of fact, you, you might not think of it this way, but we actually have scheduled rejoicing every week. That's what we do when we sing these songs in here. <laughs> you ever wonder, like, maybe you've been going to church for a long time, you're just, you, oh, they sing the song before, they sing the song after. There's a reason. It's scheduled rejoicing. <laughs> We're reminding ourselves of the truth of who God is and what he's done. And no matter what you walk into here feeling like, we want to say, I'm going to choose to rejoice, Lord, because regardless of how I'm feeling right now, what you've done is still true. And I'm going to remember that and I'm going to celebrate that. So may we be people that make a disciplined practice of rejoicing. Yes, we can have spontaneous overflows. That, that's great. But it should also be a discipline that's in our lives. You know, this rejoicing also, it doesn't have to just be limited to Sunday mornings. This is awesome that we all get to come together, a couple hundred of us in here, and, and sing praises to the Lord. That's amazing. It's, it's cool. It's special. Um, but you can also do this on your own time, right? Like, you can choose to rejoice in the Lord in, in your own quiet time in the morning, just sitting there with your Bible. You don't have to play music. You can play music if you want to. But you can also just think about this awesome stuff God's done and say, God, thank you. Like, like, you can do this by journaling. I know some people like, keep, like, gratitude journals. They just write down everything that God's done they're thankful for. Rejoice over it. You can do it by going out for a hike in the woods, right? Just re rejoicing over the, the work of the Lord. In that fall getaway video, I was, uh, the, the text at the beginning, I was reading one of the Psalms. Um, and it's just, yeah, like, look at how creation shows the glory of God. We can rejoice in that just by going out. You can do this with friends, just I mean, when's the last time you got together with a friend just to celebrate what the Lord's done in your life? It's cool. Grant said that he loves, I've, I've referenced Grant a million times in this sermon. He, uh, he, he said he loves sharing his testimony. Why? You should enjoy sharing your testimony because every time you do it, you get to rejoice in what the Lord's done in your life. 
So there are all kinds of ways that you can make a habit of choosing to rejoice and remember who God is. Review how he's been faithful. Do that in the Bible. Do that in your own life. We have a lot to rejoice over. The second thing I would say is pray. Right? It almost seems like a well-duh one. But, but seriously, this is what he says. Philippians 4, 6-7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God has given us prayer as a gift. Like, what, what an amazing gift that we can literally come before our heavenly Father, the almighty God of the universe, at any time we want and lay our burdens at his feet. That's awesome. That, that, that is absolutely amazing that, that we, we can come before almighty God and do that. And that's why it's like, if, if we actually pray, right? I'm not saying just recite something you memorize and give no thought to it. Say, I'm actually going before the God of the universe. He actually hears me. He actually cares about me. I'm able to drop off a request at his feet. Well, no wonder the peace of God will start to guard our hearts and minds. Right? It, it literally, he says the peace of God which surpasses comprehension. This is a kind of peace that no one else can offer. Because no one else can, can say, can go to the all-powerful, almighty God of the universe and drop their requests off at his feet. He does not want you carrying anxiety and fear around with you all the time. He wants you to consistently learn to come and cast it upon him. 1 Peter 5, 7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. What a beautiful thing, right? We're not bothering God when we come to him with our requests. Whatever it is, even if you think it's something trivial and stupid to be stressed about, God wants you to come and cast it on him. You're not burdening him. You're actually honoring him by bringing your anxieties and your fears to him because you're showing him that you trust him, that you believe he cares, and that you believe he can do something about it. I, I came across this quote from Colin Powell. He was a, a general in the United States military. Um, my wife actually showed it to me the other day, but it says, the day soldiers stop bringing you their problems is the day you've stopped leading them. They've either lost confidence that you can help them or concluded that you do not care. Either case is a failure of leadership. I love that as someone in a position of authority saying, I want my soldiers coming to me and telling me their problems because that means they know that I care and that I can do something about it. We're God's children. Cast all of your anxiety on me. He cares for you. I challenge you to, to actually take time to seriously pray and go before the throne of the Lord when you're feeling anxious. You know, another thing I would encourage you to do to have peace in your life is watch your mental diet. Look at uh, Philippians 4.8. He says, finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Okay, so he's telling you, hey, watch the kind of things that you're giving real estate in your mind. What are the things that you're actually letting your mind dwell upon? And, and not surprisingly, uh, the things that you think about will greatly impact the level of peace that you have in your life. So if you choose to let your mind consistently dwell on angry news articles complaining about politics, you're going to have a lot less peace in your life, right? Conversely, if, if you spend your time thinking about who God is and how he's working to set this world right, you're going to have a lot more peace in your life right? We have so much influence in what we allow our thoughts to dwell on, and that will greatly impact the quality of your life. What kind of music are you listening to? What kind of shows are you watching? 
What kind of stuff are you looking at on the internet? All of these things are affecting you. You are feeding your mind with all of that. And, you know, we understand the importance of making good nutritional choices for our bodies, right? If I make a lot of poor nutritional choices with what I eat food-wise, I'm going to suffer the consequences for that. Well, the same is true for what you choose to do mentally. If you make a lot of poor choices with what you're choosing to let your mind dwell on, you are going to start suffering the consequences of that as well. You know, I'd also encourage you, if you want peace in your life, to live a godly lifestyle. Philippians 4.9, next verse. The things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Paul taught the Philippians how to follow Jesus. He came, he preached the gospel to them, he showed them what it looks like to follow our Savior. And, and he's saying, hey, live this stuff out, and the God of peace will be with you. Sin is a peace destroyer, right? I already talked about that earlier, so it separates us from, from God. It is not good. Like, God is never, ever, ever trying to rob you of life. That is not what he's in the business of doing. God is in the business of giving life. So if he tells you to stay away from sin, he's not trying to rob your fun. He's trying to keep you away from something that, that will rob you of joy. And that's exactly what sin does. It's an absolute destroyer of peace. It brings all sorts of stress and drama into your life. Like, has anyone here ever gotten more peace in their life by choosing to gossip? No? Okay, I didn't think so. Right? Gossip doesn't, doesn't bring peace. It brings drama, which destroys peace. How about lying? Has anyone ever had more peace in their life because they've, they've chosen to lie or because they've chosen to sleep around or they've chosen to get drunk? Some of these things might even uh, bring s some copy of peace that you feel for a little bit, but in reality, they just cause more problems long term. They might make you feel better in the short term, but overall, they rob life. And they're going to rob you of peace. And that's why God wants to keep you away from these things. You know, finally, the, the last thing I'd say if you want to experience Christian peace in your life is that we need to help each other out. Philippians 4.10, the next verse says, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Life is a lot less stressful when you know that you're part of a family. When you know that there's actually people that are in your corner that care for you. Right? Isolation is probably one of the most anxiety-inducing things. When you feel like you're all by yourself, nobody understands you, nobody cares about you, you have no one to talk to, no one wants to help you, those are all lies from the devil, and those are all things that are going to absolutely destroy peace in your life. And God does not want you to feel isolated. Remember that the gospel itself is all about him bringing you into relationship with himself. The gospel is a relational message. It's the whole message of the Bible. God's showing us how he's brought us together to be his people, to be his children, to live with him for eternity. You're not isolated. He wants to be with you so badly, he's literally giving you a spot in his house forever. And if you are a Christian, you also have a whole bunch of brothers and sisters because you're adopted into God's family. And, and with that, like, like think about it, you've got a ton of siblings. Our family reunion is going to be huge when we get to heaven. You've got a ton of people that are here to care for you. It is so helpful to have people in your life that care about you and are there to help. And, and this has really been a hallmark of the church. I love seeing the way that the early church took care of each other. Uh, I don't have this on the screen, but in Acts 4, it even talks about how there was not a needy person that was among them in the church because they did such a good job of taking care of each other's needs. The same way that God wants you to cast your anxiety on him and bring your burdens to him because he cares for you and he wants to help you. 
we as the church want to do that too. And I'm not talking Grant. I'm, I'm not the church. I'm a part of the church, along with all of you guys, right? We are a collective family, a, a God, part of God's family, one little expression of it here that we call H2O, and, and we are here to help one another walk with the Lord. We're called to bear each other's burdens. And so not only do we have a God that wants us to, to come to Him because He cares for us and He's able to help us, we have a church family that wants us, that, that we should be using, that we should come to each other, that we should be helping each other out with, with needs great and small. And, and I see that happen so much in this community and I want it to just continue to grow the way that like, man, we really, really take care of each other. We share our resources. We, if someone's in need, someone needs a car, someone needs a ride, someone needs food, whatever, like we're there to help. That's the church. When you have God and all of his people looking out for you, what do you have to be worried about? So I'll close with this. Life can be hard sometimes. It's not always easy. We, we don't always have super easy circumstances. But whatever circumstances we find ourselves in, we are not alone. The God of the universe is there with us every single step of the way. And whatever problems you find yourself facing, view them in light of eternity. Every single problem for a Christian is a temporary one. Because one day we know that all things are going to be set right. And so I'm going to pray, just lead us in prayer together as a church and then we're going to go into some of that scheduled rejoicing, right? I don't know how y'all are feeling, but we're, going to, we're scheduling rejoicing. We're going, to, we're going to praise the Lord and rejoice over all the work that he's done. So, uh, and I also want to say this, after I get done leading us in prayer, there's going to be people that are all around the room. They have little prayer lanyards on. They're bright green. And uh, there are people that would love to pray with you. If you're sitting here saying, Grant, I agree with everything you said. I'm still really anxious. I'm still really stressed. Okay, well, let's, let's do one of the things I talked about. Let's pray. If you're having a hard time praying by yourself, come and have a brother or sister pray with you. Like, I know that we might be strangers to some of you right now, but if you're a Christian, first off, we, we are your sibling. And second, like, we want to get to know you. We want to be able to help you come before the Lord and, and pray and, and cast your burdens on him. So um, after I get done praying, we go into this worship set. Uh, there will be people all around the room with those lanyards that would love to pray with you, uh, whatever your needs may be. God, we love you, and uh, we thank you so much for who you are. You're, you're awesome. You're worthy of all of our praise. We thank you that you are the one that gives us true peace. And uh, Lord, we thank you for the foundation that that peace is built on, that you give us promises to take care of us both in this life and in the next, that you change our perspective, helping us to see what's really valuable, what's important, and what's not, that you give us your power, Lord, and, and also understand that we're limited, but you're not. God, help us to be people that rejoice and pray and let our minds dwell on good things, that live godly lives, that press into helping each other. We know that you, you want your church to be people of peace, God, and, and, and you want your church to be a bright light in a dark world. And I know that in our world right now, this is one of the greatest areas of darkness is that people are racked with anxiety. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be a shining light in the midst of that, that points people to you, showing that you are the only one that can give true, lasting peace. We love you so much. You're worthy of our praise, and we lift it up to you. And I pray this in your son's awesome name. Amen.